welcome to How I Got Hired. This is a show about ordinary people like you and me and how they created extraordinary success in their career. So every single Monday, what we do is we uncover how they got hired in those career-defining roles, whether it's by companies, whether it's by their very first paid clients, and we are all about fully practical strategies and tactics. No time for fluff, my friends. So if that is what you're about, you are in the right place. Welcome. My name is Sonal Bell, Top 25 Career Coach, and here I am every single week to help you to supercharge your believability, networkability, marketability, and hireability so you have a career and life that you are proud of. Now, go in and listen with an open heart and an open mind and believe, really believe, if they could do it, you can do it too. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back. My guest today is LinkedIn Top Voice, Meeta Malik. Meeta has headed consumer brands at places like Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, and Unilever. Now, I normally don't do this. I'm going to read out Meeta's LinkedIn bio, which uh, tells us an amazing story and brings us to where Meeta is today and what she's doing today. So, as a kid, I loved watching commercials instead of actual TV shows. I still do. And going to the store with my mom, studying all the new packaging and products on the shelf, testing and trying new things. Loved it. But as a kid, I didn't see many stories being told that included people who looked like me. I was the funny-looking dark-skinned girl with a long, funny-looking braid whose parents spoke funny English until it wasn't funny anymore. I was bullied by my peers for years and I was desperately trying to fit in. I wanted to belong. I've spent over 15 years as a storyteller, leading iconic brands like Aveeno, Avon, Color Cosmetics, Chapstick, Vaseline, Suave, Suave, I mean, my French is Suave, I'm guessing it's Suave, <laughs> and Dove. Throughout my career, I've fought hard to ensure people like me are included, ensuring black and brown people are represented in campaigns, ensuring products we create are for all skin tones, and that we are not reinforcing stereotypes. I believe that diversity of thought does not happen without diversity of representation. When you have all those points of view, all those life experiences and cultural backgrounds coming together, colliding, clashing and collaborating, that is when the magic happens. That's when we have that one breakthrough idea, campaign, innovation to authentically and purposefully serve customers and communities. Oh, wow. (laughs) I need to take a breath here. This is so amazing. I am so honored, Mita, to welcome you to the show. That is incredible. No one has done a voiceover of my LinkedIn bio (laughs) profile. Thank you so much. I will, well, I have it recorded now, so I can maybe add it to LinkedIn. Thank you so much. That's so kind. You're you're very welcome, Mita. We're going to get into this. There's so much I want to learn from you, and I'm sure there's so much our listeners want to learn from you. So we're going to start from the very beginning. Sounds like Julie Andrews and Sound of Music. (laughs) (laughs) So Mita, you know, when you talked about those shopping malls with your mom, watching all those ads on TV, is that kind of what led you to working with products and branding? Was that always the plan? It was not always the plan. The plan that was I was supposed to be a doctor, which is sort of the... I was going to say the immigrant parent, right? Medicine, law, engineering, the typical. (laughs) Absolutely. And I did everything except take the 
and cat. Yeah. And then I realized I didn't like the sight of blood. I hated the sight of blood. And I thought, what am I doing? And this entire time I had been writing and reading and just obsessed with storytelling. And so it was finally, I think it was my junior year of college where I said to my parents, I don't want to be a doctor. And it was amazing. My parents were super supportive. My dad always said to me, follow your passion. The money will follow. Don't Mm -hmm. ever follow anything for money. They were very supportive. I think everyone else in like the extended community was disappointed, but my parents were very supported that I supported of my decision to do that. Oh, that's good. A bit progressive on their part, because I know that our part of the world, our culture does think a lot about what other people think, right? And and keeping up with those Joneses. Yes. And I was an anthropology major Uh when I was undergrad at Columbia University. And everyone except my parents supported that. My parents supported that choice. No one else did. They thought, what are you going to do with an anthropology degree? But anthropology is the study of human behavior and culture. And so what an amazing foundation to have that as I launched a career in marketing. Yeah. And and, uh, so you knew it was going to be marketing, products, branding, all of that stuff? I didn't know it was going to be that. I knew that I loved watching television commercials. I loved the storytelling format. I loved products. I loved brochures. I I just loved advertising. Mm. And so I didn't have the language or understanding because I didn't have any role models in marketing growing up. Right. And so if you can, you can see it, you can be it. So Mm. I didn't have anyone to really talk to about this. I think as I went into undergrad and studied more, and then certainly my decision to go to graduate school at Duke was because I really wanted to get into marketing. And at the time you really need an MBA to get access to some of these great companies. Yeah, but it's it's great that you're like, I'm not sure it's exactly that, but I know I enjoyed X, Y, and Z. That's a great place uh, to start. And it's a great place for our listener to keep in mind. And also the good old fashioned process of elimination. I hated the sight of blood. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, telling you something. That's telling you something. I was like, this is not, I'm not going to be happy doing this. I sort of always had that feeling. And I loved the sciences. So I'm pretty, had a very well-balanced education in that sense. But I always sort of knew, I couldn't let go of the storytelling piece. It always was with me. Couldn't let go. Yes, good. And please don't let go (laughs) because we love that. Uh, So this is going to be a tough one, uh, Mita, for you. So J&J, Avon, Pfizer, these are very much like, you know, uh, organizations that a lot of people want to work at. And the competition for like the juicy plum roles is so stiff. So if you had to pick one role in these three places that has had the biggest impact in your career, Tell us about that role and walk us through how you got hired there. That's a tough question. Okay. I will say out of those three, I'm going to say Johnson and Johnson because hmm. it gave me my entry into the world of marketing. Mm-hmm. I was a MBA student at Duke university. I had studied before I went to got into graduate school. I studied all the employers that went to these graduate schools and that's how I applied. So Johnson and Johnson was always on my list. And I thought, okay, where does Johnson and Johnson go? Okay. They go to Duke. And so that was my only reason that I went to Duke, but that was, I wanted to make sure that I knew what employers had relationships at those schools. And so my first year there, Johnson and Johnson, which they probably still do, they had a diversity mini camp. And so your your first year of business school, you could apply for this mini camp 
they actually brought you to campus at J&J in New Brunswick, New Jersey for almost three, four days. And you actually got access to associate brand managers, brand managers, you shadowed them, you followed them around. And then it was a little bit like The Apprentice where you actually interviewed on the spot for an internship, which I ended up getting. So that summer I went there and had a really great experience interning. And then I went there full-time. And what I learned at Johnson & Johnson, and I worked in the consumer products division in the U.S., was really just this notion that you know data leads you to insights, to action. So mm-hmm. a lot of times when you think about marketing, one of my career highs was signing Viola Davis, the yes. incredible Viola Davis, yes. to turn around the Vaseline business at the time. But I didn't work with Viola Davis years into putting a lot of time into my career. So when you're in marketing, you're doing a lot of the work in the trenches. You're not going to be showing up to celebrity shoots, you know, year one, year two, year three. And so for me, one of the things that, you know, Johnson and Johnson really taught me was how do you find those insights that is in like reams and reams of data And how can you tell a really fantastic story using data? And I use that to this day in my work. And that was an incredible foundation for me to have access to all of that. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm hearing from you is there's no shortcuts as much as we want. (laughs) You got to go through the grind and you have that one glamour moment, which is uh, masking all of the reams. And I'm I'm imagining you drowning in data. Yeah. I mean, at the time it was Nielsen, it still is just going through data. And, you know, I spent hours and hours and I would Mm. like pull the wrong data. Mm. There's a lot of value in that in making mistakes, pulling the wrong data. Like it's actually the wrong story. That's actually not the reason why the business was declining this month. Right. And there's a lot to learn from that. Right. In terms of like pulling the wrong data and not understanding what you're looking for. Oh, that's amazing. I've I've never heard anybody say that out loud, Mita. Pulling out the wrong data was actually very beneficial because you can't attribute the causality to that. That's uh, that's amazing. And the other thing I'm taking away from you is we all have that certain employer we kind of have a crush on. We're like, whoa, (laughs) I want to be there. And you're like, okay, let me reverse engineer. I'm putting on my little science hat. Where do they hang out? And I'm going to hang out there. Yep. Okay, they go to Duke. I'm going to go to Duke. Because we say this on LinkedIn, right? Where are people hanging out? Are your people yep. on TikTok? You know, are your people on LinkedIn? Where are they? So here, uh, 15, whatever, 15, 20 years ago, where are these schools going to recruit? And I'm going to be there. I'm going to be visible. I'm going to be amazing. They're going to want to hire me. And that's pretty much what happened, according to plan. Yeah, absolutely. And it was a lot of work because there were a lot of alumni from Duke or Johnson & Johnson. So connecting with them, networking with them, it was not easy. I did not have a traditional background to get into that. My background before that was fundraising and the nonprofit space. And so I did not have a traditional background right before I went into business school. So let's stay there for a second. Coming from a non-traditional background, you still manage to get in. You're saying it's not easy, but tell us a couple of things, you know, other than of course the intern, because the internship, you have all the right sets of eyes and ears on you. But other than that, what are the things that maybe you think helped you to stand out considering you were different? That's a great question. Number one, I had my why down. I knew Mm -hmm. why I wanted to work there. I was passionate about marketing and storytelling. I was passionate about Johnson and Johnson 
you know, I grew up with these brands. And so I was able to really make that connection and talk about that story. I think number two, I really studied the marketplace. I was up to date on the trends, on what competitors were doing, on what their launches were. And so while I was not in the field, I was acting like I was in the field because I wanted to be in the field. So that's how I presented myself. And I think the third is relationships, relationships, relationships. Like whenever I could find someone who would talk to me, who worked at Johnson and Johnson, I would make sure that was uh, a first impression that mattered. Those 20 minutes that I talked to them, whether that was over the phone, over video, whether that was in person when they came to campus, because then guess what? When they were looking at the final slate of interns, they said, oh yeah, I remember Mita. I had a conversation with her, left an impression. And so those are some of the things that I really focused on as I tried to pivot into marketing. Good. It sounds like you were very intentional about it and uh, your hunger showed, right? Your hunger showed in your why, your hunger showed in your extra mile that you did with the market research that a lot of people do maybe on the superficial side and even the why, right? It'll be like, yeah, I have my why nailed down, but it may not be coming authentically from them. And you, you know, talking about your childhood, like you, <laughs> I mean, that is very hard to not get, um, to not feel compelled. Like, hey, I want to know more about this person. Oh, so, thank you so much. I can welcome. remember back in the day, I cut, I was cutting out magazines, Allure, Glamour, yeah. Vanity Fair. I had a binder of just yeah. ads yeah. that I was studying for new launches because then I was really prepared, especially... Yeah for case interviews and yeah. when individuals were asking, like, you know, you only have one shot during these interviews. So making sure you put your best foot forward. Yeah. I'm going to shoot my shot and I'm going to make it count. Love it. Yeah. Love it. So we're going to fast forward now uh, to Unilever, uh, Mita. So talk to us about, I have a, a two-parter here because you spent, sure. uh, you spent a little while there. Talk yes. to us about, this is a giant right <laughs> this giant. is a behemoth. 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 behemoth exactly how did you get hired there and there uh you also I don't know if you pitched yourself or you got you know recruited for the role of director for diversity and cross-cultural marketing so there's two roles you had in this company sure. both I'm sure are you know very much coveted and how you went about it well, the first part of the story is I was obsessed with Unilever for as long as I can remember. I grew up with Suave. It's pronounced Suave. 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 And <laughs> Suave although I did like your pronunciation. Suave, <laughs> Vaseline, Dove, yes. Lipton. I grew up, my, I'm the proud daughter of Indian immigrant parents, born and raised in the U.S. These were all products in my household. Yes. yes. I was obsessed with Unilever. What people don't know is I applied to work at Unilever four times over the course of many years and was rejected Ooh. every Ooh. time. In graduate Ooh. school, I applied to work at Unilever. They rejected me. Two years later, I applied to work at Unilever. They rejected me. A year pause, after just that, pause yeah. for a sec. My gosh, did they tell you why they rejected you? Um, the first time I think it was, you know, I was, I wanted to go back to Johnson & Johnson, which I did, but I also had Unilever at the sort of, you know, in the back of my head. No, there was, I think at that time, there was no feedback when I was an intern. Okay. The next two times I was rejected. It was because they went with an internal candidate, but I had, and I was very close. I, if they had gone with someone external, they said it would have been me, but let me tell you, those were intense interviews I did with them. Case interviews. I mean, I was like, 
oof, I wanted that job so badly. Yeah, you could almost taste it. And so you're saying you were so close to the, like the final selection, like the final, like getting the offer. And you, did you say four times? Four times. So the fourth time I was on maternity leave with my son. I was at the time at Pfizer leading ChapStick. I went on leave. I had intentions to come back to, to run mm-hmm. the ChapStick brand again. And I had a friend call me who knew I had been trying to get into Unilever and said, I have a vice president who is looking for personal recommendations to run the hand, hand and body lotion portfolio. Are you interested? Send me a resume. And I was like, yes, I am. Well, then fast forward, I met Rob Candelino, who right now is the general manager of Thailand for Unilever, who's still a very close mentor of mine. And he interviewed me and, and finally hired me, gave me my shot. And I'm forever grateful to enter Unilever. But that took years. I did yeah. not get hired by Unilever on the first shot. I just kept trying. I wasn't going to give up. I was going to work there. And it didn't even matter that you got rejected four times because this dude hires you because you're good. Absolutely. Right? And a little help from, little tiny help from a friend who helps to ensure that your resume Absolutely. hands my resume, hands yes. my resume to him and says, you need to talk to this person. Yes. And it was one of the quickest interview processes I had to his word. He said to me, I'm going to call you, give you an offer in a week, give me a week's time. And I said, he's not going to give me an offer in a week. That Wednesday, I get a call from HR. Here's your offer. I was like, this is incredible. And so while I wasn't looking, I was my one shot is, you know, you have loyalty and you think you're going to go back to your employer. I'm on leave. And I said, yeah. no, I've got to go to do this at Unilever. How did Pfizer take it? I think they were, I, they, they were gracious. I mean, they sort of, I mean, it was like, this is my dream job. I really mm-hmm. want to go do this. And my son was five months old uh, and I went to Unilever. Um, Amazing. Amazing. And then you were at that role, um, Mita, for a couple of years. Yes. And then talk to us about this uh, uh, juicy new role that came up, because this is also sort of that peak, you know, where a lot of people are talking about, hey, why does why is there a C? Like, why does everything look the same? Like what's going on? And you're in that sort of, you know, that that party. Uh, So explain how that role came about and how you got that role. So that was not the role I wanted to do. I wanted to go lead Baby Dove or Lipton okay. or brand. I was going to be a marketer. That was my destiny. And I had the then CEO come to me three times to ask me to take on this role. The CEO global? Of, of North America. North America. Wow. To lead, to lead diversity, equity, inclusion, because they didn't have anyone doing it at the time. And I said no three times. And Why, my young why, why did you said, refuse me, Doug? I refused because listen, I'm human. We all have biases. I had biases. What is this role? I don't want to be in HR. I'm a marketer. This doesn't make sense to me. And I always say, you know, sometimes people see something in you you don't see in yourself. Sometimes people have a vision for you that you haven't come to realize. And it was my younger brother who said to me, if you think about how we grew up, you think about your background, you think about your passion, why wouldn't you take this job to be an internal change maker for the organization? And so, and he said, the CEO asked you three times. I don't think you can say no again. So I took the role. I took the role. And then uh, two years into my role, not even two years, the company was hit with the Dove crisis where we were accused of racist content. That was back in 2017. And that was a really painful time for the company, but also an amazing time uh, professionally as well. And if you see 
what the company has done since then, it's pretty remarkable. And I would say that's the moment where also I became not only the head of inclusion, but cross-cultural marketing. And I always knew this, if you know my background, like inclusion is a driver of the business. That's why I got into this work. That was not a surprise to me. But it's this idea that you can no longer separate workforce from how your brands and products and services show up in the marketplace. And I think as many of us talk about, you know, what's the number one skill marketers need? It's digital, it's social media. I would argue it's cultural competency. I don't know how you can market or how you can be a business leader in this day and age and not consistently be working on how to increase your cultural competency. And so I was really proud that Unilever trusted me and that they had the vision for us to think about how we could do this role because there's not many, there were not many roles in the time in the marketplace that had inclusion and marketing in Mm. the title together. Yeah, yeah. Unilever was definitely uh, the front runner there. Hey, kudos to younger brother. <laughs> yeah, younger brothers were great. Yeah, brothers wisdom, were great. wisdom. I'm saying this to the listener, your younger brother, your younger sister, you know, you just sometimes don't know that little switch can come from anywhere, just need to be open to it. And what a great reminder uh, from little baby brother. <laughs> um, I see what you mean, you know, Amita. Um, my coach says this, if you have a brain, you have bias. It's impossible yes. not to. And, you know, um, refusing three times. And also in my head, I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to be that token brown woman. I don't want to stroll. I love marketing. I want to be in marketing. I want to ask you, how do you refuse a CEO <laughs> politely, not once, not twice, like three times? Can you give us I, a little I tutorial? Think, well, I, I said something like, this is my vision. I want to be in marketing. I'm not, I don't really have an understanding of what this role is. Okay, think about it and come back to me. I come back to you. Yeah, I'm interviewing for these other roles. <laughs> like, and I think he was patient with me. He was yeah. a wonderful individual. And so, and probably knew that I would come around. And I did because I had a lot of other sponsors at the company saying to me, this could be a really good move for you. And also when I was doing it, it was, it was seven, eight years ago. It was pretty early. Um, an early time for some of these roles. And now you see chief diversity officer, yes. one of the hottest roles and yes. one of the fastest growing roles, according to recent LinkedIn. According story. to recent LinkedIn in Jan, 2022. That's amazing. That's very true. And um, so you said this could be an amazing opportunity. A lot of people said that to you. Did, so was it? It was incredible. You know what I realized about myself? I think you start to realize as you grow in your career, the things that you're really good at and you enjoy, and you lean into that. It doesn't mean that the areas of opportunity aren't important, but my areas of opportunity isn't what got me here on your podcast today. It's leaning on the strengths. I continue to work on areas of opportunity, but it's like also just putting fuel to the fire on like what you know you're good at. I am an architect. I'm a builder. I love blank space. I love creating strategy, mission, purpose, and bringing a team along through a journey. I love solving complex problems. And there's nothing like the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. It's, there are so many problems that haven't been solved and it's very challenging work. And I love human beings. I mean, you have to love human beings to do this work. I know. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's so true. It's like someone, um, saying oh my god I can't stand kids I'm like then why did you be a teacher why did you become a teacher (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh I I don't like human beings they're like oh because DEI has you need so much empathy there right and and uh, we are 
all flawed as human beings. Absolutely. So speaking of problems and speaking of challenges, let's get into this here. Because DEIB, right? So diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. This this is a road, you know this better than I do, Mita. This is a road that is paved with so many challenges and so much disappointment where companies talk this pretty talk, but not much beyond lip service, right? The walking, you don't really see much going on there. So there are two aspects to it and I want to keep it positive as well. But at the same time, I don't want to, you know, draw this little uh, blanket on my eyes and pretend everything's perfect, which it's not. Uh, What has been like, so A, the most challenging aspect of being in this space and, you know, tell us a little bit about what you do today there. And, And second, what has been the most rewarding thing? And I know you love stories, Mita. I love stories as well. Would love to hear you sprinkle a couple of those right here. So currently I'm the head of inclusion, equity, and impact at Carta. We're a fintech company based out of the US, but we're a global company and we manage cap table software. And so if you don't own your own company, then you're trying to figure out equity for your employees. How much are your investors getting? You are likely using our cap management software. I like to think of us as the ally to the founder. Okay. So that's what I do currently. And I'm helping build the first ever diversity, equity, and inclusion team. We've been on a journey for a year and a half. And so what is it that's the hardest part about this job? I'm going to be really honest. The hardest part about this job is I don't know the current number, but I know from a U.S. perspective, we spent billions of dollars upward of late, latest number I saw was like north of $9 billion of on diversity, equity, and inclusion training in our country, right? And I'm sure that number skyrocketed yes. since the yes. diversity tipping point of 2020. Yes. So, and I know this, I'm in the market. There's so much money being thrown at this problem from an innovation perspective, from a consultant perspective, from teaching, learning. And here's the real truth. We spend more time in our communities than we do at work. I cannot, one or two trainings is not going to help you unlearn all of your biases that you have lived with your entire life if you're not doing this work at home. And so when I coach leaders, And uh, uh, let's say a white leader will come to me and say, Black Lives Matter. I really care. I want to be an ally for the Black community. What's your advice? And I spend some time asking them, okay, so tell me about your weekends. How do you spend your weekend? Where do you live? Who cuts your hair when people were cutting hair pre-pandemic in salons? Where do you go grocery shopping? Who do you spend your time with? And when you have a big life decision or a celebration Who are the five people you call that are outside of your family? And if they all look like you, act like you and think like you, we are self-segregating. So how as a white leader can I say that Black Lives Matter if I don't know anyone in my life who is Black and have a meaningful relationship with them? And I say that for anyone. We're all on a journey to be an ally for someone, right? So I'm going to say me personally. How can I say that? I want to be an ally for the Black community if I don't have any meaningful, deep relationships with you in this work, is that this work starts at home. This work yeah. starts at home. This work starts at community. home. Um, that self-audit, Mita, it takes courage because we all have the right intentions, right? You're like, how can I be an ally? Show me. And you're like, no, no, you show me what your calendar, what your day looks like you know, in day-to-day stuff, like, you know, cutting hair, which I 
honestly can't remember <laughs> going yeah. to the hairdresser. Oh my God, I can't wait for that. But yes, where do you go? Are they people who look like you, talk like you, sound like you? So uh, that's uh, really good. Intention is good, but also your action, right? Your action tells you uh, something about that. And what's the most rewarding thing, Meeta, about being in this space? The most rewarding thing is when someone sends you a note or, or reaches out to you or pulls you aside in the hallway and said, I just had a revelation on something you said in a meeting or this workshop or training I went to, because here's the thing, this work is one-on-one and this work is about a tipping point. If I do a session and 150 people show up at Carta and I only impact five of them, that's great. That's five more people that understand this work. Right. And that's five more people. Like if I impact you, then you're going to go share that with someone else. And then they'll share that with someone else. And so that's the hard part, right? Because this that's the exhausting part. I always yes. say, you're meeting people where they are. And on some days, I'm like, can you walk five steps toward me? I can't meet you where you are, right? Yeah. <laughs> because the work yeah. gets exhausting, but that yeah. is part of it. That's yeah. the rewarding thing. When someone suddenly, a light goes off and they say, wow. And there are different ways in which people come to that realization. Oftentimes for men, it's when they first become fathers to mm-hmm. daughters, Mm-hmm. And I have people say to me, if I hear a man say one more time that he cares about this work because he's a do- he has a daughter. I, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, said, yeah. But you know what? I don't mind. I said, I'll take that all day, every day. You, I can't question someone's how their heart feels about this work. If it's because your daughter has inspired you, amazing. I'm so happy that now you're thinking about what the workplace might be like her for someday. I'm not going to judge as long as your intention is good. I'm not judging why you care about this work. I had an executive who once said to me, who was very uninvolved in any of the DEI stuff, and like one day showed up in my office and said, I'm actually really interested in supporting our, our employee resource group that is centered around individuals with disabilities. And come to find out, as he's ready to share his story, his father recently had a stroke and now had to use a wheelchair. And so there was a a real connection for him. Here's the thing. Our stories are constantly being rewritten. We know this in the last two years. And so as our stories are constantly being rewritten, our connection to DE&I is changing and growing. And so you just have to have a pulse on that and be ready when people are wanting to share their story with you and why they care about this work. Mm-hmm. I enjoy I enjoy a good um, healthy uh, exchange of ideas, Mita, and I'm glad you you brought that on because I'm one of those people that rolls their eyes and like, how can I be racist? I have so many black friends, or how can I be anti-feminist? I have two daughters at home, etc. Because that makes me feel like, okay, but what about those guys that have sons? I mean, they're not like off the hook. But you're saying I want to meet you where you are. Yeah, if that's but- how you're connecting to this work, let's talk about it. Let's talk talk about about it. it. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I'm thinking about the the closest example I can think of is when when you said disability, I don't know why, out of the blue, I'm thinking Superman, Christopher Reeves, when he had that um, horse riding accident and he was on his wheelchair for the longest time, he was supporting all these uh, research into spinal care, right? You don't think about causes like that, like you're saying, you know, the CEO with his dad. We don't think about all that stuff till it happens to us, which which, which which is normal, right? We're human. It is normal, Um, but I think if we go back to how can we continue to build cross-cultural bridges 
in our relationships to experiences that aren't our own, that maybe it doesn't take something personally that impacts you. Yeah. But it is people close in your life that you start to get to know. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I think, yeah, that's a great point because uh, there's so much criticism on, okay, I can't say this anymore. Everything is too woke. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> got to be politically correct all the time. We got to meet people where they are. So that's um, something that's um, very key that I'm taking away from. I would also say, let me be clear about this. In my work, hmm. this is what I do as a profession. So Carta has hired me to do this. Hmm. I meet people where they are yes. in their journey at work. Here's what I will tell you. You have to protect your mental energy and your space. Yes. People where they are is exhausting. Yes. So somebody is exhibiting racist behavior towards me in my personal life. I don't need to meet them where they are because maybe I'm just tired. Yeah. And I don't want to educate them. So I think I want to make that distinction. Yes. Yes. Right. Because I think that like it is, uh, let's just say, not the job of black and brown colleagues and friends, the burden is not on them to constantly educate everyone else, right? So that can also be perceived as, well, I need to meet people where they are. So it's my job to educate. No, you know what? There's Google. If you want to know what it means to be anti-racist, Google it. Don't ask me. There are so many resources out there, right? Oh Sometimes when people, like when I have people in my life text me or friends, I'm like, all right, Google it, right? No, but uh, your yeah. point, you have psychologically safe relationships, the people who know me well, they're, we're, we're, they're my people. I'm never get offended by anything someone asks me because I have a good relationship with them. I know yeah. where their heart is. The context. No, for sure. I'm glad you brought that distinction, that distinction, your human uh, meter and our energies are not unlimited. Um, that's uh, really important. And yeah, if there are questions, you can Google it. Otherwise, you know, like I, I did a little ranting post, ranting post do very well on LinkedIn. I've noticed <laughs> there was a ranting post about like people want you to come and speak about, you know, on Women's Day and all of that uh, International Day of Women's Rights. That's the correct uh, term. And there's no budget, you know, but we you'd get all this exposure. And I was like, dude. Exposure, no. exposure burns, exposure kills, exposure does not pay my bills. I made a whole uh, rant on it. And the thing is, you can Google it, you get all the answers or you pay me. I'll help you with the answers. Then you pay me or you pay my company um, because people don't take that value advice very seriously. Right. When it's for free. Yeah. Value your time and value your work. You know, I always say this, like, think about if you were getting a consultation with a tax advisor, an attorney, a doctor. Yeah. yeah insert profession there's yeah. there's a fee yes and i think that there's an also this interesting intersection of diversity equity and inclusion people of color women insert how someone identifies and then it's like oh and we want this for free yeah there's something like pretty yeah. unsettling about that yeah um and if you can't if you're listening to this and you don't understand what I mean, think about that. Yeah. About yeah what the, that means to reach out to somebody for their expertise in this, who may be yeah. from a historically underrepresented group and you're asking them to do it for free. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's a clear lack of respect for me. Um, and um, people are like, don't judge. I'm like, oh, no, I will judge. It's it's uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not for you. It's OK. I, I'm judging. We're not uh, right for each other. Uh, and I want to give a quick little plug uh, to anyone who's uh, interested, you know, no matter which part of the world. Right. Let's say someone 
is listening in India, brown, everybody's brown. Yes, but you have historically marginalized marginalized groups like Mita that you said, and we are not open about it, but you know, casteism in cities, we don't talk about it, but it's yes. there. Colorism is there, huge, big time colorism is there. And Unilever's been in, you know, controversy there as well. Yes, uh, so thinking about like where, you know, there's a role that all of us can play. Um, you know, that's what I'm hearing you say. I lost my train of thought. Yes. So every, to anyone who's listening and you're like, oh, you know, maybe I come from a marginalized background or I know someone, highly recommend you listen to Brown Table Talk. That's a new podcast episode, a new podcast that's come out with Nita and DC Marshall, which yes. is... Yes. Roaring success. Uh, a friend Thank of mine you. who was on the podcast, who is, uh, you know, your production uh, manager. Cardona, our producer. Yes. Shout out team. to Rich, yes. who was on the show. And he's amazing. So I, I love that you guys are friends. You got to check out the podcast because you keep it real. You don't sugarcoat it. And we need, if there's one thing we need in this world, we need more real. So. There's no other way to be. Thank There's you. No we want any, be. it's for women of color and for allies. And it's really how to help women of color, not just survive, but thrive in their workplaces. And it's, you know, as you know, I'm a great storyteller. I love stories. So we tell a lot of stories and we talk about, you know, the purpose of telling stories for me is that stories inspire, change and move people. But when I tell these stories about things that happened throughout my career, I want to do it from a positive place. Dee and I want to live leave tips and guidance to say, hey, this happened to me in my career. How do I wish it would have turned out differently? And what would have been the difference if an ally had shown up for me at that time? So that's that's what we're trying to put out into the yes. universe. Yes. And and uh, while we're recording, season two has just come out. So that's exciting yes. stuff. Yes, thank you. Yes. Um, and, and Mita, so someone who's listening today, you know, their heart is in the right place. They do want to help. It can also be a little scary in the beginning to raise your voice, right? Um, particularly in traditional corporate setups. Mm -hmm. So what would be your favorite piece of advice to help this person start to use their voice? You know, not like huge creator podcast, creator YouTube channel or anything like that, but starting where they are, what can they do? That's a great question. I always say, I hope in 10 years, this job doesn't exist. Yeah. I would hope that everybody could show up to work as a chief diversity officer. And what do I mean by that? You can sit in any part of your organization and make an impact and you have to make an impact. You have to feel like this is part of your work. So if you are a hiring manager right now, talk to recruiting, ask them if they have a diverse slate. What does it mean? Have you defined a diverse slate? You don't have to be the hiring manager. You could be the peer who's looking for someone to come onto your team. Ask those questions. Be kind, be helpful. Ask questions about what that looks like and how you can help. If you are in a talent review and someone says, well, there's this promotion coming up. It requires a lot of travel. I think Mita could be a candidate and someone else says, oh, but she just had a new baby. So she's yeah. not going to travel for that role. Yeah. Why is that in the consideration? And if yes. Mita was a dad, would that question? Yes. Yes. You want to ask Mita. So yes. always ask. The check is, would we have the same conversation if Mita was a man. And then finally, vote with your wallet. I don't care if you're doing a $500,000 video or a $5,000 video. Ask your company why you're going to the same five suppliers. Why aren't you bringing in different expertise to sit around the table when it comes to 
uh, Lipton cartons, tea cartons you're making or bringing in someone like yourself as a speaker or hiring someone to do consulting work. And then just vote with your wallet in your personal life. Think about supporting small owned businesses. And that makes a really huge difference. Black, brown, women owned. There's so many great businesses out there. And I'm going to give a shout out to my friend Reka who runs Blossom Box Jewelry and I'm wearing her earrings today. Gorgeous. She makes incredible pieces. And she has a story similar to mine where growing up, uh, she was really embarrassed to wear Indian jewelry to school. Kids would make fun of her. And so now she, as an adult, has an amazing, founded this amazing company. And honestly, my story is I stopped wearing Indian jewelry. Mm-hmm. I was so embarrassed. People made fun of me and her company has inspired me to start wearing Indian jewelry. Again. Oh my gosh. I love all these points that you talked about. Vote with your wallet is so powerful. Ask questions, come from a place of curiosity. Love it. And I find it so funny, Mita, like, you know, growing up, things that embarrassed us about our heritage are so in now. It's like yeah. chai tea, non-bread. <laughs> I'm like, you just, dude, you just said the same thing twice. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, turmeric latte. I'm like, oh, dude, we've grown up like haldi dude, listening to all yeah, that stuff. Cool. It's not yeah. cool because your parents are making you do it. And now right. it's cool. Indian jewelry, henna, all of that stuff. It makes me yes. laugh. <laughs> yes. Yes. Coming full circle. Oh my goodness. Speaking of which, I can't believe we're coming close to the end. Uh, time has flown honestly today. And there is this question meter that I ask every single guest on the podcast. What is that one standout defining moment that supercharged your career and helped you to move towards your current success? That's a heavy question. Well, let me just say this. Defining moments are sometimes the things that are in most recent memory. So I'm going to do something that's in most recent memory, right? Defining moment. Mm -hmm. And this is another piece of career advice. I left a very large, stable job to go into fintech. And I think for anyone out there, one of the biggest pieces of advice I received early on in my career is when you're comfortable, it's time to get uncomfortable. And so I was very comfortable at Unilever and doing very well and could have stayed, but it was time for me to grow and experience new things. And so I decided to do something very different and go into the FinTech space, uh, which does not get much more different than consumer product goods, let me tell you. So uh, take the risk, take the chance and think about ways how you can grow and develop. I know when I left Unilever, my a lot of my relatives in India were really surprised. It goes back to the comment you made at the beginning that sometimes we're so worried about what other people will think about our career and expectations and perceptions. And so they said, why would you leave Unilever? And I said, well, I'm going to work at Carta. And they said, oh, great. We're here on some fashion bracelets. They all think I work at Cartier. Cartier. And I told my boss and CEO that, and he still thinks it's the best joke ever. But Carta is huge. It's so interesting. I've learned so much about venture capital, private equity. It's an entirely different world that I never had access to. And so I'm learning and growing so much. So I just, that's my plea to anyone listening is to think about what's that next change you're going to make to continue to grow and learn. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, and, you know, uh, people are like, oh, follow your passion, take the leap, make the jump. Uh, If you're very comfortable, yes, 
do it uh, that that's what you're saying meeta that's what i'm taking away the relatives who will make that long distance phone call from ludhiana punjab and delhi like they'll get over it they'll forget about it in 2 seconds when they realize it's not cartier it's <laughs> something else uh, but your future is your own and you're the ceo of that future so that's amazing um meeta fantastic and what is um the best way for our listeners to learn more about you please follow me on linkedin i love to have community and conversation there so i'll see you over on linkedin fantastic meeta this has been such an amazing conversation i wish you so much success at carta uh with your career and beyond thank you so much for being with us today thank you for having me and thank you for the impact you're making in the world i love this conversation Oh my gosh, is Meeta Malik incredible or what? Check her out on LinkedIn if you haven't done so already. Follow her. She's super regular with posts and articles and I love this podcast, Brown Table Talk with DC Marshall because they talk about real stuff. They don't shy away from uncomfortable conversations and I think we need more of that in the world. So thank you so much for listening and spending time with us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, goes without saying, but I still say it. <laughs> Share this with a few of your closest friends. Rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and if you leave a written review, oh, that's a little cherry on the cake and all of this stuff is not like vanity or anything. It helps more people to discover the show. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Until next time, bye for now. Bye.